few years ago with my family, three daughters, my wife and I, we were uh, heading out on a ski- skiing trip to Colorado. So we were on I-70 and for one shining moment for about 15 minutes, my three daughters didn't have their AirPods in. So we could actually ha- have a conversation. Don't know how we fell into this, but somehow we started talking about communism and the, uh, the rise and the fall of the Soviet Union and the Berlin Wall, and of course, a comparative analysis of the different economic systems of socialism and communism and, and capitalism. I mean, as one does on a, on a family road trip, as it were, my, my 12 and 13-year-old daughters at the time. And as we're going, uh, we all had to go to the bathroom. I had to go pretty badly. And we're coming upon the best stop on I-70 from here to, to, uh, to the Rockies. Everyone knows what that is, right? The best stop, where you stop? Colby, Kansas. Yeah, anybody at the Oasis? Nobody goes to Colorado. I mean, there's a Starbucks there, Cadoba. I don't know, Dog Park. But uh, it's, it's kind of a, a, a wonderland, and we get there, and um, the girls head on into the bathroom, and as they do, I say, oh, hey, by the way, um, there's more on this topic. We'll pick it right back up when we get back in the car. <laughs> my, my youngest like, do we really have to, Dad? I'm like, I mean, yeah, I'm like in Clark Griswold mode right there, you know? And um, the point that I was about to land was, no matter the, ca- the, the economic system, we're going to find a way to mess it up. Like whether it's capitalism or some other ism, because of the broken greed in our hearts. But I didn't quite get that point out, so I wanted to make sure that I put a bow on that whole conversation. And uh, there I am trying to pump gas, and it will not take my card. And there's a long, like, there's a ton of cars there. And I'm like, doggone it. I try another one. Will not take my card. So then I have to get into line behind a gal who is pumping gas. It's snowy. I'm in, like, travel slippers with, with a hole in the bottom. So my, my socks are getting wet. I have to go to the bathroom. And, and then I think, well, what can I do? Well, I'll just I'll clean my windshields when the gal pumping gas has the same idea. So she goes and grabs the squeegee. I go, I'll go grab another one. There are no other squeegees to be found. So now I'm waiting for her to finish squeegeeing. And I got to say, she's the worst squeegeeer I have ever seen. I mean, she's just so slow, but she's not like pressing. So she's just like slogging dirt around on her windshield. And I'm sitting there just kind of judging her for her lack of competence in, in squeegee making. And, um, and by the way, things are getting a little desperate on, on the, the need for a bio break at this point. So things are kind of rising up in me. When a Dodge Charger bounces its way onto the scene, comes up at the same island that we're at, but just on the other side. And this guy is blaring music at such an obnoxious, irritating, just, just grating sound. I mean, I, I, I want you to hear what I heard. So I asked them to, yeah. It was like that but it was louder. So let's just get a little louder. Okay. It was still a little louder. Okay. Okay, it was like that. Can you, so this is like in everything around is like bouncing and it's bouncing my bladder, I might just add. And I'm sitting there just like in an absolute panic and frenzy 
when I noticed something. I noticed this man is not there for gas. You know what he's there for? The squeegee. And I'm in line for the squeegee. And I had thought about confronting the man. I thought about asking him to turn down his music. But let's be honest, I'm in a minivan. He's in a Dodge Charger. So what am I to do? I'm to get the squeegee. And it becomes awkward because this woman is still squeegeeing, and I'm getting closer and closer. And I'm just kind of hovering, lurking, trying to get a little bit closer. And I notice Dodge Charger Man is kind of doing the same thing. So when she finally finishes and goes to put it in the bucket, I just make this like serious mad dash. I'm like moving and it gets awkward because she at the same time, I have to get by where she's pumping gas. She is now pulling the gas out when I'm trying to move around the hose and miss her by this. And finally he's moving and I'm moving and I grab the squeegee and I have it. And it's there and it's mine. The squeegee. And this is why the Apostle Paul, in the second chapter of the Bible, in the second half of the whole Bible, has something to say to me. He says this, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or greedy man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I am clutching what in that moment had become fixated as my heart's desire. And it was just a squeegee. What was the point I was trying to make with my daughters? That hey, it doesn't matter whatever the, the capitalistic system, whatever the ism system there is, that as humans we're going to mess it up because of the greed that clutches our hearts so deeply. You know what's interesting about this passage and this word that, that Paul, the author here, he's writing to, to a group of believers, to a church in a city called Ephesus. He uses this word pleonexia. You can look at it with me here if you want to just geek out even through what it looks like in the Greek there, pleonexia. It, it, uh, he, it appears three times in just a few verses. And what's funny about greed is I don't know that it ranks up as like, in, you know how as Christians we tend to like, we tend to like select a, our own little hierarchy of sins? It's like we, we pick our own fantasy football league. We pick our own, like, what are, the, what are worse sins than others? I don't think greed really jumps to the top of our list like other sins do. And yet, I'm going to pause for a moment here. So there's someone that's fallen, and uh, I'm getting the thumbs up. But let me just let me just pause here for a second.
Okay. They are helping her up. Okay. Um, I got two thumbs up, but what I'd love to do is just pause and just pray for a moment. So would you join me in doing so? Father, we pray um, for this person uh, that has fallen and needs care. We ask that, God, because you are the God of love, that you will tend to them in love. Thank you that you have rallied around caregivers, and I assume um, medical first responders. And thank you that she is up. And would you tend to the interior spaces of her heart right now? I just ask that your good spirit will speak deeply into the places of her heart, mind, body, and soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, thanks for that and that pause. I knew that we're the kind of community that can't just rush past something like that. So, um, and, um, and we'll ask for an update at, at the end to see how she's doing. We were making the point that um, greed is one of those things that I don't know when we say, well, what are those like high-ranking sins? By the way, all sins are equal. <laughs> now, they have different consequences. But in the eyes of God, anything askew from His deep heart is off the mark. It's not what he desired. And greed is one of those things that I think is pretty slippery in that we can see it in others so easily, can't we? But not so easily in ourselves. This is why Jesus is like, hey, don't point out the speck of dust in another person's eye when you've got a log sticking out of your own eye. And I think when it comes to greed, it's one of those things where we go, yeah, yeah, that actually, it's there. It's there in me in spades. I uh, want to show you just uh, one scholar describes greed as simply this, a ruthless self-seeking. A ruthless self-seeking. And I know when we think about greed, we think about the Wall Street kind of scene, right, where it's just about finances, but it's actually... It's the totality of our lives by which it shows up. And if I were to give you a few categories by which sin shows up in, in the form of greed, I would say, number one, it shows up in our appetite. And this is about experience. This is about indulgence. It shows up through ambition. And this is the seeking of power, and it shows up in our need for approval, whether that's fame, celebrity, the constant need of being approved by others. It's a, if, if left to its own devices, it runs towards narcissism. These are maybe three categories to help you go, well, I'm pretty generous with my money. We go, well, no, let's step back for a moment. And like how Jesus says, he goes, be on guard against every kind of greed. So what is that? In other words, I would just ask you, like, what, what's your squeegee? 
What's that thing that you just get fixated on? You go, I, I have to have it. I'm going after it. And it could be money. Or money could reflect something else for you. Status, security, power. I don't know. But I want you to think for a moment what that might be. What is, what's your squeegee? What's that thing when you desire it or maybe don't get it? You feel like, I know what for me, it's like a clutching. I, I feel this tightening in my spirit. Happened last night, actually. I went over, so uh, I get to teach here about once a month, which is fantastic. I run a consulting company and looked over some, some numbers. Looked over the P&L last night. Should never do that on a Saturday night. And we weren't where I thought I was in that fuzzy math that, that one does as an entrepreneur until you look at the real, the real stats. And I felt a clutching. I felt that. <gasps> and whether it was me at the gas station or me in, in moments like this, and, I, and by the way, let me just give you a couple examples here. Um, appetite is that need for constant experience and indulgence, and you can never have enough. It can also mean food. I talked to my brother one Christmas when, where I missed the family meal. I said, how was it? He says, Dan, it was so peaceful. It was so relaxing. I said, why? He goes, because you weren't there hogging the Christmas casserole. He literally said that. I'm like, I got a thing with food. <clears throat> Ambition. <clears throat> Maybe in a more classic case, just last night, watched a documentary on Netflix called Dirty Money, and it featured a guy here in Kansas City named Scott Tucker, who was a predatory payday loan shark, who um, would charge people upwards of 400 to 500% of their loan. And the government went after him, and actually, um, they, 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 you know, the, the penalty or whatever was $1.3 billion that he stole from people. That's maybe a more classic picture of that. And then, of course, somebody who's greedy for attention. You ever just been around someone that just, it always comes back, it always just boomerangs back to them? It just, there's just kind of this vacuous black hole of needing attention. I don't know if that helps. But let's just unpack maybe a little bit of the subterranean journey of when greed is reflected in any one of these things. What's the journey that we go on? What was the journey of me at the, at the gas station in Colby, Kansas? Well, it started with desire. I had a desire to go to the bathroom, but it got fixated around something, right? Desire's not bad. That can be corrupted for sure. But it started with desire, and I would say this, as I, as I just kind of searched my own heart, um, that's not right, don't know how to spell, um, I had an entitled spirit that somehow I thought I deserved to get gas before anyone else, I deserved to have a squeegee before anyone else, like 
I was the most important character <clears throat> or person on that scene. And then if I go down a little deeper, there was a problem because there was scarcity. There were not enough squeegees to go around. And all that led to this like, this is happening to me. I am a victim here. Why is this happening to me? And if I move even deeper below that, you know what I was really feeling? I was feeling powerless. I was in a situation, an environment that I couldn't control and someone more powerful than me that I didn't feel strong enough to confront. I felt powerless in that moment. So what happened to me? I went into ruthless self-seeking mode. Greed became fully manifested. It went into full bloom in that moment. I don't know if you can identify what happens in you when greed rears its ugly head. I'm not saying this is what happens every time. I'm just saying as I stepped back and surveyed in a silly little moment, but even last night, like what are the things that happen in me? It leads to this, this place. And there's an outcome to it. The Japanese, they have a little picture of when somebody becomes so ruthless and they're self-seeking, and it looks like this. And you know what they call it? Death. This is the picture of where greed will go. And we just listened to a, a song by Eddie Vedder called Society. And what does society look like? Well, little individuals all doing the same thing. And it doesn't matter what kind of economic system you put around it, that does not lead to life. that does not lead to all that Jesus would want for us. That's why, that's why he puts it just in a few short verses three times. And you know what he calls it? What does he call greed? Did you catch it? Look, look here with me back at this Ephesians 5, 5 verse. He calls it idolatry because it becomes the prize. And this goes all the way back to the garden, by the way, to when the fruit looked pleasing to the eye, to when we were told we could be like God. And when one says to the other, here, do this with me, 
This is, the, this is core, core stuff in us, and this is why Jesus comes and the Apostle Paul in the Scripture saying there's so much more for you. If you remember, this series, Walking His Way, is not about this moralistic, like, don't, you know, don't do all these things, toe the line, right? No, this is because we are the loved children of God, and as His loved ones, what does it look like to walk in His love? What does that look like? And that's what we have in the person of Jesus. I want to um, jump here to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, and I'm talking to our awesome slide operator, Jeff. There it is, Jeff. You're so on it. Look at this. This is kind of what frames the whole thing, that we're to be imitators of God as beloved children. So we just, we do what God as our Father does and what's in His heart. Why? Because we're His loved ones and we walk in love. This is where the series, Walking His Way, we just walk out as loved ones, just as Christ. Here's the one that we have to model. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma, gave himself up for us. You see, if anybody could have been entitled, if anyone could have made it all about them, don't you think that would or could have been the Son of God? But instead, he didn't, right? And so, what's the antidote of greed? The antidote of greed is simply, well, it's the opposite of this. The antidote of greed is a person and a people who are centered in the love of the Father, sending out and giving themselves away as Jesus gave himself away. It's a, instead of an arrow's in, it's an arrow's out life that we live modeled after Jesus. This is what he did. How was Jesus living an arrows out life? How did Jesus give himself up for us? What did that look like? Well, I know the, the, like the most on point point is that he gave himself up on the cross, that he died for our sins, and he did. But don't let your brain just fall into religious thinking, going, oh, I know that. He died for our sins. No, there was a life of giving himself up. There was a life, an orientation of how he constantly did not live for himself in the miracles that he performed. He he relinquished power so that others might might live. He multiplied food so that others might eat. He um, touched somebody that no one else would touch. Jesus was so generous with the way that he lived. You know how he was most generous? As I read the, the Gospels, as I read about Jesus, he was generous with his time. If you ever go through and just read all four of the story, the book, little books about Jesus in the New Testament, they're called the Gospels, just go and look and notice how many times Jesus was interrupted. He was interrupted all the time. He was interrupted within an interruption, right? Jesus, come heal my daughter. Okay, let's go walk what seemed to be like a day's journey. And on their way, in the midst of following out this interruption, someone else comes and interrupts him, and he stops and heals that person. He was constantly interrupted. I hate to be interrupted. It happened to me on Sunday. 
a week ago. Uh, dropped my daughter off for, she's in gymnastics, and there's a little coffee shop down the way, and, and I knew I just had an hour, and I was just going to sit outside, I was going to drink a cup of coffee, I was going to read and pray, and, and, um, and when I went to order coffee, I, I saw this man that I've seen a few times, his name is Ed, and, um, and Ed and I have talked a few times, uh, and I'm just going to I'm just going to kind of invite you into the interior here. It's not pretty. But uh, Ed is severely disabled. He's severely uncouth and disheveled. Ed, I don't know how often he showers. Um, his hands are deformed. His feet are deformed. He walks with uh, a walker. Um, he drools when he speaks. You can hardly understand him. And I just, I saw him and his back was to me and I just thought, I'm not gonna draw attention to myself. I, I need an hour. And sometimes that's not bad. But I got my coffee, I went outside. It happened to be kind of around the corner and I open up to, um, uh, in the first part of the Bible, there's a book called Isaiah and I open up to Isaiah, Isaiah 52 and I'm reading it and it begins like this. How beautiful on the hills are the feet of one who brings good news. How beautiful on the hills are the feet of one who brings good news. And I've read that before. There's a song that I've sung around. And, 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 but then I begin to think, in that time and in that era, when the only way you got news was by someone taking the effort and the time to climb up and through the mountains to come bring it to your village. And people would wait for messengers to go up the switchbacks and back down and bring it a days, a two day, a week long journey to bring news from another land. How beautiful when it's good news. And I just began to think of all the effort that it would take for the person whose feet would bring such good news. And as I'm kind of sitting in that reverie, I hear Ed. And out of the corner of my eye, he's very slowly pushing his walker in my direction. And I think for a moment, I know he lives in that direction. I think maybe he's just leaving. But he's, and, and um, the way he talked, again, you could hardly understand. Excuse me, Barbara. And that's kind of how it was. And I realized he's coming in my direction. And he pauses about five feet from me and he says, what are you doing? And I said, hey, Ed. Um, well, I'm just sitting here reading and praying. And he goes, oh, do I need prayer? So I do what pastors learn to do when they don't want to be interrupted. They say yes to prayer, but they do it on their terms. So I got up and I said, well, let me come pray for you because see, now I'm in control. See, I can give them a prayer, pat on the back, and then I can go back down to my reading and to my coffee and the whole thing. So I get up and I place a hand on him. He goes, oh no, I need to sit down. <laughs> I go, Okay, so now, and it, I mean, it, every step is belabored, right? And every movement, he has to go from his walker to the chair, and I'm holding the chair, and he finally sits down, and we're just sitting across here, and um, 
and he begins asking me questions. He sees one of the books I'm reading by, by an author who's lived back in the 1900s named Andrew Murray, and he, he goes, oh, I love Andrew Murray, and he starts asking me about Calvinism if you study any theology, and Arminianism if you study any theology, and I'm going, wow, this guy's brain is a deep, deep well. And then he says, actually, he doesn't even say it. He grabs my hands, and he starts to pray. It's the most beautiful prayer. He's blessing the Lord. He's blessing me. He's asking for healing. And I'm sitting there in this moment going, I mean, I'm just, I'm just like a cocktail of confusion. I'm like, this is so awkward. <laughs> this is so beautiful. Where have his hands been? <laughs> this is so beautiful. This is so awkward. What are people thinking right now? Everything is raging through my mind. But I have enough wit about me to know this is holy. And he gets done praying. And then he says, well, I need a smoke. <laughs> so he gets back. I help him kind of get up to his walker. And then I just watch his feet. Every just contorted, twisted step and how deliberate and how much effort it took. And I'm just locked in on watching Ed's feet. And slowly, he goes around the corner to have his smoke. And I go back to Isaiah 52. And what does it say? How beautiful on the hills are the feet that bring good news. See, God in his generosity had a gift for me in that moment, and his name was Ed. And in all of my entitledness and all of my scarcity mentality and all of my ruthless self-seeking, I was about to miss the gift. That the joy in this life that Jesus wants for us, that the freedom that he wants for us, that the richness of life, it sometimes comes packed and wrapped in the most mysterious of packages. And see, greed isn't just about like Oh, give to do good things. Greed is, I'm missing out on what the scriptures call the life that is truly life. And I, I grabbed my Bible. I went back around to the corner. I found Ed, and I pulled up Isaiah 52, and I said, Ed, you just need to know the gift that you gave me today. How beautiful on the, uh, on the hills are the feet that bring good news. And I said, Ed, I know every step for you is a mountain. And he says, well, not like it used to be. It used to be worse. Probably took him 15 minutes to come find me. And you know what he said about that? He said, well, I just felt prompted by God. I just felt prompted by God. The generosity of Ed, the effort, the struggle, the selflessness to come bring me a gift. 
when we come back to this list. And Jeff, if we could pull that uh, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 up, I just want just to camp out on that one more second as we wrap here. When we're beloved children, and when we walk in love, all this changes. We no longer have to go this path anymore. We desire even deeper things. We're in touch with our deepest desires. G.K. Chesterton says, a man in search of a brothel is actually a man in search of God. C.S. Lewis, the great philosopher, British philosopher and apologist, He writes this about how we hunger for God. God made us. He invented us as a a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. What he's saying there is that our desires, when we go to the deepest place, we're actually in search of God. And instead of being entitled We're actually entrusted with all the richness of the kingdom. This is not a scarcity model. This is an abundance model. God owns all the cattle on the hills, all the silver, all the gold. It's all His. All the things in your hand and in my hand are His. And the question is, am I going to be a dot at the center of all the arrows? Or am I going to be one that says, with my time, with my house, with my car, with my stuff, with my friendships, with my relationships with our bank account, with my gifts, with my talents, with all the things that he's given me. This is the life that is fully life. And it becomes fun and it becomes adventurous and it's so fulfilling. And I'm not a victim. I'm an heir. I'm a child of God and I'm not powerless. I am empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I'm not ruthless. You know what I want to be, oh God? I want to be a radical radical, counter-cultural giver of self to others. I want to be an arrows-out person, and I wonder just for you, again, what's your squeegee? Where does your spirit tighten, and how's that working for you? I want us to close with a, with a prayer together. This is a, this is a prayer that another church um, that we're in relationship with here at Shoal actually closes out their services with. And it's a bit of, um, if you ever grew up in old school church, it's a bit of a, like what they call liturgy, which is we all recite something together and it's part of what they can expect in a service. You come to Shoal and you expect like, you know, an Eddie Vedder song, right? That's the liturgy of Shoal and it's awesome. Um, They have something that they close out as it relates to this greed thing in their hearts. And what we're going to do is as a prayer, and as the band comes out and they're going to sing a song with us and over us, um, we're going to, if you would be so inclined to recite this prayer out loud for our own hearts as an expression of us wanting to go on the journey of being no longer an arrows in person, but an arrows out person. 
And so I, here's what I want to do. I don't want to spring this on you and have you go, well, I don't want to just read this blindly out loud. So we're just going to look at it. So I just want you to look. There's like four or five slides, okay? So just quietly, we'll just have you look this over and receive this not as someone who's fully arrived, but as someone who wants to continue the journey. Okay, so, so that's what we're going to recite out loud for those of you that would like to, <clears throat> okay? But what I'd like for all of us to do, if you are able, would you stand uh, with me here, also up in the balcony? And <clears throat> those of you online would also encourage you, would you stand and would you participate with us in this? And if you would, just in a very... Uh, non-demonstrative way. Just take your palms open. This is just you saying, I know I'm not fully there. I just want to be more. <laughs> I want to be more like your child who walks in the way of love, right? So if you're willing to do this, let's recite this out loud. Heavenly Father, I humbly submit my life and finances to you. There is nothing I have that you have not given me. I pray for the grip of money to be loosened for greed plunges my human heart into ruin. I choose not to store up treasures on earth or chase after worldly things, but instead choose the difficult path of stewardship, simplicity, and gratitude. Open my eyes to opportunities for charity so there will be no needy persons among us. For your glory, for the abundance of my own life, and for the sake of others. Amen.